the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Thank you so much for joining us today on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zernell, our co-host on special assignment today. And so it is just me and our very special guest, Sigoyna Tansman, is a speech-language pathologist, a life coach, undergraduate degree on the East Coast at the University of Florida, and her master's degree on the West Coast at San Diego State University. And uh, she has spent a lot of time talking about and working with people for more than 30 years who have struggled with speech, especially after a stroke, her best-selling book, Hope After Stroke, for Caregivers and Survivors. And Sigoyna, thanks for joining us. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. When you think about stroke, uh, there's so many people who have had a stroke or know someone who's had a stroke and then struggle with language, depending on what portion of the brain the stroke affected. How do people get their speech back? Well, that's a great question, a million-dollar question. Sometimes speech starts to come back spontaneously. We always look at that initial part of recovery where spontaneous recovery starts to happen, and it depends on where in the brain the stroke occurred. But even those that do recover speech completely may start out with some challenges in the beginning. So sometimes... and. The truth is about aphasia, which is the loss of language through stroke, there are many levels of severity from the most global, which is the most complete, to um, simple name and word finding difficulties. So it is a process for sure. Some of it is uh, recovery through spontaneous measures, but others through speech therapy. And for people who have suffered a stroke, uh, one of the warning signs that you're having a stroke is difficulty with speech, correct? Yeah, that's part of that acronym FAST. It starts with F is for face. You're really looking for asymmetry in the face. The A stands for arms. You ask somebody to extend their arms. And again, you're looking for is one arm lagging behind. But the S does stand for speech. And it could be anything from slurred words to kind of sounding like you're drunk or to not being able to come up with words. Like if you ask them, what's your address or, or tell me where you live. And there is a, a real problem actually in formulating any kind of content to their speech. Must be pretty scary for the person having the stroke. Yes, it often is. Um, and what's interesting is they can, in some cases, 
not be aware that they sound really different. And in fact, they think that everybody else is kind of an idiot, like, what's wrong with you? I'm making perfect sense. But seeing the faces of people that may be showing uh, fear um, is kind of disconcerting to them. What got you interested in stroke? Well, you know, the interesting thing was my grandmother had had a stroke and uh, I was, it was at a time when I was just starting college and like most people that frequently don't know what they want to do when they grow up, so to speak. And um, the speech therapist that was working with my grandmother was somebody that my mom said, why don't you come and look at this person? She knew I was always interested in communication and helping people. And she thought it might be something that would interest me. And um, as I took the coursework, the more I took, the more I found it interesting. And the area of specialty in speech pathology for me was the brain. I found the brain and stroke and traumatic brain injury really fascinating. How did your grandmother end up doing? My grandmother was a very angry woman, and she did not quite honestly do very well. She had limited speech, um, and we see this often where there is a lot of emotional change, or what I like to say is we turn the volume up on behaviors that already existed, and she was really angry. Um, She did not last very long post-stroke. She had a pretty severe stroke. And um, for, I mean, she was well into her 80s and she did die peacefully, but um, she, she didn't have a great recovery, I would say. In the work that you do, uh, working with families and, and people who've had a stroke, uh, how well do the families adapt to what needs to be done? And we'll talk about that in a moment. But first, I want to let folks know who may have just joined us. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, our co-host Carol Zerniel on special assignment. And we're talking today with Sigona Tansman. Uh, she is a speech and language pathologist, a life coach, hangs out in a pretty nice place in the world, Hermosa, California. And we're talking about speech and stroke and other issues that affect life. For families of uh, uh, someone who's had a stroke, uh, how big a role can they play in that recovery? They play a huge role. And I like to say it's kind of like a dance. Um, In fact, when I wrote my book, A Hope After Stroke for Caregivers and Survivors, it's because in the beginning, it is a it it is that the caregiver is providing more care for the survivor. They're leading the way, especially in the hospital, through advocacy. That's an enormous part that a caregiver can play. Uh, But the roles start to change if we really want to create as great independence as possible for the stroke survivor. Caregivers need to learn to back off and allow stroke survivors to actually do more on their own. Like what? Well, um, even things like physical things, right? You know, a lot of times a caregiver will say, don't do it. Don't get out of the chair. I'm going to get it for you. Or they'll try to speak for the person, right? Because the person is struggling with their speech. And if you ask a stroke survivor, a person with aphasia, we want they want time to process. We're so willing to jump in and, quote, solve the problem that it's actually frustrating for the stroke survivor. They need a longer time to process. They need to be able to... Um, do something in a slow way 
regardless of how long it takes, whether it's to write their name or to eat with a fork or to even get out of a chair. And I'll tell you, this becomes a problem with with paid caregivers, right? Because a paid caregiver is paid to give care. And so when we ask them to hold back and allow somebody to do something, that caregiver doesn't feel like they're doing their job or sometimes can be accused of not doing their job. But we, it's such a, a delicate balance of releasing care so that the person can get better. Uh, I'm laughing because uh, I had knee replacement surgery and my wife for a period of time was my, quote, caregiver. Uh, Gina did not believe in enabling. And I can remember home from the hospital for what seemed like a minute. And I said, sweetheart, would you get me some water? And she looked at me and she said, your doctor said you need to move. So get up and get it yourself. You know, I love which I did like that. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. As you work with uh, individuals, do you get a chance to work with uh, paid caregivers as well? I do. Yeah. So, and, and that is really interesting thing because we have to work with the family as well as with the caregiver to really understand how we're best serving the person, not to enable them or not to create what's called learned dependence, but rather, excuse me, to enable them. Uh, so that they can be more independent. Learn dependence uh, is a big issue. We hear about that a lot in caregiving, where uh, you really create uh, someone who becomes less and less motivated to do stuff for themselves because you do it all for them. Yes, not only less motivated, but less capable physically, physically and emotionally less capable. And that does not help their self-esteem, which is such a crushing part of having a stroke injury to begin with, the loss of self-esteem. And so it is in the creation of being and doing more independent things that does enhance that sense of self-esteem and and contribution and significance that's so important. I don't know if folks realize how prevalent stroke is? Well, the statistics show that close to 800,000 people annually in the United States have strokes. Big number. Pardon me? That's a big number. It's a big number. And I will say that it is the leading cause of long-term disability, which is really a, a sobering statistic. But the great news too, at the same time, is that 80% of strokes are preventable. How? Well, a lot has to do with lifestyle, management of stress, dietary management. And if you know your numbers, your blood pressure number and your sugar numbers, those are the two most critical numbers that can be helpful in averting a stroke. Now, when you say sugar numbers, uh, if you don't have diabetes, very often you don't check any sugar numbers. Right. Well, that's one of the things that just in a standard uh, annual exam, you should know what your sugar numbers are. We know what our weight is. Most of us do. And there are a few of these numbers that are really, really important. You know, we don't want people to go from pre-diabetes into a diabetic state because they simply aren't aware. And, And as you think about blood pressure, Uh, What are you looking for as a standard kind of blood pressure number for people? 
Well, the kind of the normal one is, you know, 120 over 80, somewhere in that range. Um, but you should be having your blood pressure checked at, on an annual basis. If you're taking medication, uh, very often people elect not to take their medication, but they fail to discuss that with their doctors. And regrettably, blood pressure doesn't have a symptom typically until it's way overblown. Yeah, called the silent killer. That's right. And in fact, I worked with one patient that was having migraines and she thought it had to do with her vision. And when she went to see the optometrist, you know, when they look in your eyes, they can see a lot into your health condition. And um, they immediately were able to determine that she was having a high blood pressure episode. They threw a cuff on her. Her blood pressure was really really, really high. They immediately called an ambulance. And as they took her away, she actually had a stroke because it had gone unregulated for so long. So, you know, our annual checkups are really important to see what the, the, you know, the basic state of our health is. Um, If you're having recurrent migraines, it's important to consult with a doctor about why that is. You know, regrettably for women, I said, women, this is one piece of the pie that women don't want more of, and we do get more of. There are hormonal changes, uh, even in early life, whether you're taking birth control pills or whether you've had a pregnancy or whether you've had issues during pregnancy that make stroke more um, common for women. Wow. Stay with us. We're going to come right back to you. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. Our co-host, Carol Zerniel, on special assignment today, and we have the pleasure of talking with Sigona Tansman. You find her in Hermosa, California, an author, lecturer, and provides all kinds of life coaching on issues involving speech, especially after a stroke. Stick with us on Caregiver SOS on air. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing. Caregivers' stress may be higher now, and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Hello. Thank you so much for sticking with us right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zerniel, our co-host on special assignment today. So I have the privilege and pleasure of talking with our guest, Sigona Tansman. She is a life coach, a speech and a speech and language pathologist. You find her out in Hermosa, California. Got her master's degree from San Diego State University. And as we talk about this topic, one of the issues that often comes up is uh, communication between a caregiver and the care receiver. How do you facilitate that? Right. One of the things that I like to say is we have to start with this concept that we're going to understand. So often we think, because my loved one has lost this ability to speak, I don't understand what they're talking about. And I really try and resource people back to if they've ever had a child, an infant, not that a person who's had a stroke is an infant. I never want them to think that. But 
or to a time when they had to communicate with somebody who didn't speak their language. Let's say they were in a foreign country. What were the other cues? Because in reality, only 7% of communication is actually the words that we use. How do you know that? Yeah, the rest is about body language, tone of voice, facial expression. And so, for example, you know, I say, look, now, one of the things that can happen with a stroke survivor, too, you know, we say, oh, well, they could write or they could um, pantomime. Well, sometimes those avenues of communication are also impaired. But we have to look at the context, number one. What is the condition or the surrounding? For example, somebody all of a sudden has a loud scream and you wonder what the problem is. You know, we have to hone in on like what preceded the scream or what is the environment like? Take a look at their physicality. It's like it's not likely that they're screaming because they want to complain about the state of the economy. It's like an unrelated <laughs> thing, right? Like it's like, let's hone in and and figure out what it's not, but what maybe it really actually is. So number one, assuming that they can understand. We want to look at the tone of voice, the facial gestures. Sometimes we can get people to signal with a head response of yes or no. Those are not always accurate, but it it is a process of elimination sometimes in the beginning. It definitely takes longer, but when there's a willingness to believe that you can understand, I promise you, you can understand. Somebody had mentioned to me that with a uh... Uh, a care recipient who may have dementia of one kind or another, uh, there are often dental issues that uh, not enough folks pay attention to. It could be pain that that individual is suffering. 100%. And um, I'm glad you brought that up about that. Yeah, pain is definitely a big one. Overstimulation, when there's too much noise, when there are too many people, when there's background noise, that can be a cause of agitation, um, hunger, tiredness. These are all forms of agitation that if we can help to manage, especially in the initial stages, those are definitely um, things. And And you're going to try things. Having a sense of humor and a willingness really does go a long way. When you say sense of humor, like what? Well, so... A friend of, uh, not a friend, it was a patient of mine. And she was talking about how she was driving with her husband. She was the one that was driving and he was the one that was supposed to be giving directions. But he had, he would confuse his left and right. And it almost became this comedy routine, you know, Ah. turn left, turn right, turn left. But she was willing to actually have fun with it and not make it such a horrible event that it was so frustrating. Yeah, that had the potential to blow up. Totally did. And here's another thing. It's so funny. Uh, Driving can bring about some interesting (laughs) circumstances. So this woman that I had worked with really struggled to find the words to communicate. But when she got in the car and her mother, her elderly mother, was driving her around, she became very fluent. No, you went the wrong way. Turn the (laughs) other way. All of a sudden, her fluency just, you know, was fantastic. It was like, okay, well, maybe we should do speech therapy in the car with your mom driving. (laughs) That's pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, And as you think about, let's extend 
this communication issue to the world at large. We are uh, coming out of, in many ways, the pandemic, uh, which kept many of us locked at home for month after month after month. Uh, in the business world, a lot of employers are dealing with stress, uh, not only on their own part, but on the part of their employees. Uh, how do we manage stress more effectively? And as a speech and language pathologist, what do you recommend? So it's fantastic that you asked that because, first of all, you have to recognize, you have to bring to awareness what is stress. You know, we talk about stress as if it's like a nothing thing. Oh, the doctor said it's just stress. Well, stress is the cause for 80% of doctor's visits. Idiopathic wow. reasons, right? We don't know, but how it manifest in our body. It can manifest in cognitive symptoms where we can't think as straight, where we get headaches. It can uh, manifest in doing poor work, being um, imprecise in our own language. It can manifest in physical symptoms in any body temple, right? From a stomach ache to uh, heart problems to uh, musculoskeletal problems. It can manifest in sleep disorders, all of these kinds of things. So number one, bringing awareness to that, but our own language can either magnify or minimize our stress. When we talk about being devastated by something, we notice that there's a certain physical intensity to that word. It triggers a certain feeling in our body. And our thoughts create our feelings, which then direct our actions and create our results. So even choosing a word like it's impossible to, it's something I'm struggling to figure out. Um, it's a challenge, you know, from impossible to a challenge. I can't and do this. I can't do this To I'm curious about how I might do this. Some people can do it. I wonder if I could do it. As we talk our way down off the ledge, so to speak, by the intensity of the words that we use, from I can't do it to I might be able to do it to I want to be able to do it to I will to I am, really changes everything about our ability to create a result. One thing before we run out of time I found interesting in your background uh, is how you developed a, a series of greeting cards for the unemployed. <laughs> how did that come about? Yeah, well, that came about with my own situation where my husband lost his job. And um, as as I tried to deal with that situation, it's like, how do I want to feel in this relationship? And how do I want him to feel? Not that I can control his feelings, but what I wanted him to know. And so I started to write some funny little notes that um, became, and then I ended up partnering with an attorney who was the illustrator and <laughs> we created these cards. And it was at a very pivotal time. It was the, at the time, the first and only greeting card company called Pink Slip Productions. And um, it was a way to, to really take a situation and transform it into something positive for me and to show my husband that I loved him. It's not a, a, a leap from that to folks who have had a stroke uh, and feel shame, embarrassment, uh, they feel emasculated, uh, they want to go into hiding. Uh, it's a huge hit to their ego. 
Absolutely it is. And that's why when I work with people, I'm really fascinated about taking those baby steps into taking a look at their thoughts because their thoughts are, I'm emasculated. I've lost part of me. Where do we find, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, they just have to be able to find a way to move from those thoughts into other thoughts where people have found unbelievable gifts at the other end of having a stroke. I want to let folks know how to get a hold of your book, Hope After Stroke for Caregivers and Survivors, The Holistic Guide to Getting Your Life Back. Uh, Where do we find the book? It's on Amazon and wherever books are sold. It's also on Barnes and Noble, just wherever books are sold. But that's the easiest way, Amazon. What do you like best about what you do? I love being taught by my patients. I have never learned as much about life as I do from the resilience that I see from the people that I work with. And it continues to motivate me to want to be with people because I have learned from them. It is not the circumstances, but our thoughts about them that creates everything. And one final thought before we let you go, for folks who are facing that first stroke in their family, what's your best advice? Get yourself educated and feel empowered because you are the most important part of the recovery. Do not rely just on the doctors or the therapists that are helping you. You take an active part in your recovery because you're the one that leads the game. Nobody cares about your life as much as you do. Perfect point to end this. Thank you very much, Sagona Tonsman. Really appreciate your time. I hope we do it again soon. Thanks. Love to. Thank you so much. Take care. And thank you for listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Talk with you soon. Executive producers for Caregiver SOS On Air are Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron. Our associate producer is Christy Romero. I'm Ron Aaron. We'll see you next week on Caregiver SOS On Air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com